0: Hey, this is Kyle Turner, the lead pastor of Hillsong, Kansas City. Welcome to our podcast. We hope that it inspires you, encourages you, and most importantly, helps you get closer to Jesus. Enjoy the message. God's grace is here to meet you right where you're at. What a good God, amen, 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 amen. Come on, join me in welcoming those watching online right now. We love you, you're awesome going to be an amazing day. Y'all look amazing today. Grab your seats. We're going to jump right into the Word. You know, last week we celebrated 10 years as a church. Pretty cool. A decade of being faithful, a decade of preaching Jesus, a decade of loving, a decade of serving. And yet this week we're going to step into something new that's for right now. You know, three times a year we, we kind of have a, 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 a moment of, of coming together with a thought uh, with the declaration, with something that really God puts on my heart and Pastor Liz's heart for us as a church family, and we kind of start a new season of sermons. And today's the beginning of that. it's a it's a new season for us. And I want to start with this verse that I think is the key verse that I my heart really for you, uh, I want you to grab a hold of. This is what God has for us as a church. Psalms one twelve, starting in verse six, it'll show up on the screen. if you don't have your Bibles it says it's uh, their circumstances will never shake them. How many of you see to say an amen right there? Their circumstances will never shake them, and others will never forget their example. They will not live in fear or dread of what may come, for their hearts are firm, ever secure in their faith. They're secure in what God has said. They're secure in who they are in Christ. They're not afraid of the situation, the climate, and the culture of the world around them. They're not living in fear. No, they might have some circumstances that aren't aren't fun or exciting, but their faith remains strong and resilient. We're going to kick off a new season, and we're calling it Frontline Faith, that we're on the front line. God has positioned his church, he's positioned you, your life, your family, Your leadership, your serve is on the front line of something that he's been wanting to do for generations. Amen? And I'm gonna read a little bit about what this means and what's on my heart, Uh, but before that, let's pray and really get our hearts right for all that God wants to say. Will you join me in prayer? Come on, those online, let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we just say right now, you're king. You rule over all, and yet you're not distant from us. You're the God who's with us by your Holy Spirit. You're in us through your word. You're directing us. We ask you to speak. God, let, don't let this next few moments be my words or thoughts. Let them be the thoughts that heaven has for us as a church, as couples, as those in, uh, walking through their, their marriage as they're leading their families. We thank you that we are on the front lines. Whether we like it or not, here we are. And God, we're saying you can use us. You can do something great through us. We're here to serve you and the people around us. Lord, we need you more than ever. Lord, we pray for the battle that's coming up this week. We're not talking about the debate. We're talking about Monday Night Football. That you are with us in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. Amen. Great to see you in church. You know, every time we start a new season, I just take some time to get some words that are always filled with the scripture. And I write out a declaration of what I just want you to grab a hold of. We believe that words are powerful. We all know that words can give life. Words can... Put someone down or they can build someone up. So I write a declaration of what God did. I just want us to grab a hold of so that we establish what we believe should be the culture and the calling of our church in this season. And you received a booklet for those that are in the house, those online, you can download the, the PDF. And I would encourage you to take these words, and maybe it's just a couple thoughts from it, or maybe it's the whole thing, and begin to pray it over your family, declare it over your life declared over your workplace or your future, and I just want to read it for you. This is what frontline faith means. Ultimately, it boils down to this, that we're saying we go first, that the church is is the people that say we go first. We'll love first. We'll forgive first. We'll serve first. We go first. It says, in the midst of chaos, God is building his kingdom, and I refuse to stay on the sidelines. I didn't choose this battle, but my God has chosen me for this fight. And when the world is falling apart, I am the first to respond. No matter the situation, I will be faithful in my field. I live my life devoted to that which is essential, the saving of many lives. I humbly declare, here I am, God, you can send me. And while I cannot do everything through Jesus Christ who gives me strength, I can do all that I'm called to do. The circumstances that come my way can't shake me because I am firm and secure in my faith. I'm never alone because God is with me. Others follow my lead as I follow the example set by my Savior, and I remain positioned alongside God's people because this mission is bigger than just me. I choose faith over fear. I stand in the gap. I run towards the fire. I am on the front lines. Do I have any front liners here today? Come on. I've got some frontliners, some first responders, those that realize, hey, church is great for what I feel, but I'm here to fuel my faith for the mission field that is all around me. Last, year, last week, we celebrated 10 years of, of, of church. It's amazing. I feel like the last 10 years have just been development. It's been God growing us. Honestly, we got growing me. I started this church at 28 years old, and I looked 18 years old. And so we were a cute church, a cute little church you would pinch on the cheek. We met in a movie theater. It was a ragtag group of people that we just said were leaders as we were all learning how to lead. It was a decade of development. And maybe we were a cute church, but I feel like God has built a courageous church. We've been labeled the cool church, which is weird because I'm the pastor. Not much cool about me but I do believe God has positioned us to be a called church. And I believe there's some frontliners here that God has positioned. Some have been here for 10 years. Some have been here for 10 months. Some of you, it's your first time here, first time watching online. And yet God has called us to this moment to own it. For what is he wanting to do through me? Most people come to church for what it does for me. How does it make me feel? But as we're maturing in our faith, which isn't about how long you've been following God, It's about how fervently you're pursuing him and how obediently you're walking with His faith. As you're maturing in your faith, you realize it ain't about me. It's about what God wants to do through me. I know I'm speaking to people who are tired of it. What's the it I'm talking about? I'm talking about maybe your faith, tired of where your faith is, tired of where your life is frustrated that you haven't seen some of the things you've been believing for become the reality of your life. How many are tired in the status of our city, frustrated with the divisiveness in our nation, tired of what's been going on in this world and how it is, but ready for it to be transformed by God, to become everything that God wants it to be. So if you're looking for a cute church or you're looking for a cool church, As cute and as cool as my mom says I am, that's watching online right now. Sorry to disappoint you, but what you're in right now is a destined church on the front line, I believe, of what God wants to do in our city and in the heartland of America. And today's a day where I feel like it's a date with destiny of what God wants to speak and galvanize us for all that He wants to do through us. Because here we are, the world is at its worst. And here we are. You didn't pick this fight, but this fight has come to you. I wanna speak for a few moments today and the front lines have found you. You were not looking for a fight, but welcome to the war. And this is not a militant message. I know in the declaration, it's like, a, it's a little macho. It's like, it's militant, I'm running to the fire. This is not a militant me- message. This is a ministry moment where you're going to take ownership, I believe. You're gonna take ownership not based upon the persuasiveness of my speech, but based upon the persistence of the Holy Spirit, who's been wanting to call you into the more for your entire life. More than just what he can do for you. So that you can walk in everything that he's called you to do, everything he wants to do through you. What is a front line? A front line is an area of conflict or struggle. A frontline is the most advanced position, the most important or influential position in a movement. What's a frontline worker? It's someone who says, I'll go to that place of conflict. I'll step into a sticky situation. I'll bridge the gap between wholeness and brokenness. Frontline people go in when everyone else might stay in. Someone who direct- provides direct help to the place where it is most needed. And there is so much much at stake in our world today, and it's easy. I see us do it all the time. Christians condemning culture, Christians trying to call out other things that put down people, people that don't even believe like we believe, and we find ourselves in battles, but we're missing the whole meaning of the fight that God has for us, because we don't attack culture. The Bible says we don't conform to it either. We transform it. We're called to bring lasting change. Bigger than a nation, we're building a kingdom. We're building a kingdom. Ephesians, and we're not fighting against people, we're fighting for people. Ephesians 6 says this battle is, with your brother is not flesh and blood. This isn't a wrestling match of ideologies. No, there's something greater at stake. This is spiritual. This is a spiritual battle. And I think many times we're, we're, we're spending our energy uh, attacking people, even politically, ideology. But what if we spent that energy instead intentionally building people, loving people, serving people? This is the mission of the church. We're not outsiders, we're frontliners. That's what it says in Ephesians chapter one from the message, Paul writes, the church you see is not peripheral to the world. The world is peripheral to the church. The church, what is it? It's Jesus. That's what we are. We're the representation of Jesus. The church is Christ's body in which he acts and he speaks and he fills everything with his presence. So if we're absent from the opportunity, then Jesus isn't there. That's a weighty thought to carry today. But God who called you to that place, called you to the front lines, has empowered you with the spirit to where you're not good enough and none of us are, he's more than enough to work through us to do everything that he's been desiring to do for so long. We're not on the outside, peripheral, that, that circle. We're not outside of the bubble. We're in the middle of the battle. We're not outsiders, we're frontliners. We're not trying to keep the world out. Hey, I grew up in the 80s in the Bible Belt. It was all about keeping the culture away. And I'm all about protecting the family and protecting the future. Uh, I, I, I don't think we should allow everything that maybe the world thinks is right to be inundated by the culture of this world. Not at all. But we have to realize that God has put you in a place, whether it's in the neighborhood or in your family or in your workplace or in your school. God has positioned you in a place for you to be in the middle of that place and that your sphere or your circle of influence is more important that you know. God is wanting to use where you're at right now. Utilize that for the advancement of his mission to seek and to save the lost. We're going to look at one of the most famous frontline stories in all of the scripture. In fact, probably the most famous story in the Old Testament, it is David and Goliath. And we're going to look how God uses a servant to secure a victory in a frontline place. It's in 1 Samuel chapter 17. So much is written about David. Do you know in besides Jesus, David is the character that shows up the most in the Bible. Even Abraham the father of our faith has like 15, 16 chapters about his life. David has it in the 50s. Mentioned in the New Testament as well as his whole story in the Old. In other words, there's something about the life of David that God wanted to make sure we understood. There's something about his upbringing, his persistence, his heart, even his mistakes that God wanted us to take note of, to learn from, or you're not positioned it in the word as much as he did. Verse one says, now the Philistines gathered their forces for war. They assembled on one side of the valley, and Saul's army, the army of Israel, was on the other side, and there was a battle line in between in the valley of Elah. The Philistines occupied one hill, the Israelites the other, and the valleys stood there in between. And yet the victory happens in the middle. It's not a political message at all, but our nation right now is on one side or the other. And yet God says, hey, we're the church. We don't pick a side on that. We're in the middle place to bring a victory so God's people can move forward. Now we see the enemy shows up in verse 4. Ho, 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 not a jolly giant, it's Goliath. (laughs) Goliath shows up, and he is one bad dude. It says, Goliath from Gath came out of the Philistine camp. His height was six cubits and a span. Let me translate the Bible measurement system for you. Dude is over nine feet tall. LeBron could not get a bucket on this guy when he's minding, minding the paint. It says that he's got 150 pounds of armor on the end of his spear is 15 pounds. He's a monster of a man. It's amazing, though, because we know the story of what happens at the end of the chapter. We know that David shows up, this little shepherd boy, but there's a 15-pound tip of the spear. David's 15 years old. David probably doesn't even weigh as much as Saul's armor, and yet he comes to pick a fight with a nemesis, with an enemy trying to attack God's people, and he comes with just what he already has. He didn't fit into Saul's armor. He didn't grab a hold of more modern weaponry. He walked into the battlefield just armed with what he already had with him. And God secures a victory, a lasting place of victory for his people. Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, And why are you even lining up for battle? Why don't you just send out one person? I'm a Philistine. Are you not the servants of Saul? What he's really saying there is, where's your king? Where is Saul? He doesn't address Saul personally because Saul is hiding in his tent. The one who should be leading is thinking about self-protection, not stepping into his place of kingdom promotion, now, he calls out Saul, and they had set up an agreement, and instead of fighting a big war, we're going to fight over this place, this, this valley, that both sides wanted. That was Israel's place, but the enemy wanted to take that ground. Instead of a big bloody battle, let's just do a one-on-one. I'm going to play you one-on-one, 2-11, make it, take it. And the winner takes all. And so he says, so send out one warrior. We'll just do this thing. Me, nine foot me versus whoever you got. And by the way, where's the king? Where's Saul? Saul and his army were terrified, you can imagine. They've been waiting for the king to make a decision. Will he go out? Who will he send out? And the people looked up to Saul for a couple reasons. First and foremost, he's king, but secondly, a natural reason. It says about Saul that when he was first picked to be king that he's head and shoulders taller than everybody else. Did you know, like, he was the biggest guy that Israel had, both in prominent position and with authority and height. So we thought, you send out your big guy, I'll send out my big guy, and we'll settle this. But Saul stays silent. Sometimes the people that should be strong, the people that should lead, the people that should serve are thinking about self-protection, are wondering how could this work naturally instead of listening to God supernaturally. And every day that it didn't respond, the heart of the nation grew more and more in despair. And I love this. The lesson we learn here is God is not after the gifted. God is not after the people that should be the leaders. God is not after the ones that others would look up by their stature and say, that's got to be the guy that God uses God is looking for people with right hearts to step in. And I'm going to tell you right now, you might not think like you come from very much, but the front lines have found you. You're the one, wherever you're at, that God wants to use in that circle and sphere to bring victory for God's people. Saul is staying safe, thinking of self. My challenging thought for you, if I'm going to get in your business for a moment, where are you thinking of self? I know we're in a season, coming out, the pandemic, the stay at home, where we've been thinking about self-protection. And I understand that completely. This isn't a medical message, but this is a ministry moment for you to not think about yourself anymore. Think about the others that you can serve in the front lines of the faith. What does God have for you? The front lines have come to you. And it's not about fighting. What I'm speaking about today is about serving. God is looking for servants. They will take him at his word and not think about self. They will step into the unknown. You know, it says about Jesus when he was growing up, when he was maturing, that he grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. That's awesome. What a dream. Uh, we'll pray that we're raising our kids and Hillsong kids to grow up in wisdom. What's wisdom? It's not knowing more. It's doing with what you know. It's the application of your knowledge. What's stature? That's a place in position where others can see that's a leader. And it's not just with God, it's with God and men. I think you need to know in this New Testament life that we live in, that you can't be any more right with God than you are right now. That Jesus, you are already in right stature and favor with God because of the righteousness made available to us at the cross of Christ. How many know you're already saved? God already sees you. The finished work of the, par- of the cross is complete but it's with favor and stature with men, with people. That, that is what is beating on God's heart for us to step in and own that and to own that place. And along comes 15-year-old David. He's our frontline fighter. It says about David in the Old and the New Testament, he was a man after God's own heart. Saul was seen to be the king, had the crown had the stature, the fame, and the acclaim, but little old David, who was left out in the field when Samuel came to anoint a new king, is the one that God actually saw. If you stay faithful with where you're at, God will make sure you'll get to where you're called to go. I love that God chooses David, because even though he's a man after God's own heart, he is flawed. He makes mistakes. He's got integrity issues, marriage problems, parenting problems. He's got he covers up sin in his life. And it blows our mind that that's who God would use, especially Old Testament. Like, how could God use a guy that we know is so flawed? But because the passion of his heart, even though he was not perfect, was always pursuing what did God have? What does God want? What does God want to do? That is good news for people like you and me, that we, we can learn that God doesn't anoint just the perfect God can use imperfect you, imperfect me. God can use some people with some problems to bring some breakthrough and blessing through their life. There's an anointing for you, not based upon your performance, but based upon the pursuit of your heart. But what set David apart from the field, I think is that he was faithful in the field. That when no one else was watching, David was serving. Faithfulness. God's looking for a faithful people. God's looking for a faithful church. The front lines are not for those that are just favored by men. They're for those that are faithful to God, faithful when forgotten by others, faithful when counted out, faithful when they're put down. When others saw a shepherd boy, God says, no, I see an anointed king. David was not a soldier. David was a servant. Write this down. If you want to be on the front lines when they have come to you, you need to realize that humility pulls you into destiny that you might not have all the things that you've desired. You're not to be walking in the life that you feel that God has. You're not be living in that fullness of calling. And instead of trying to make it work for you or perform at a certain level, it's actually your serve that secures your spot. It's humility that pulls you into destiny. And I believe showing up humble is half the battle. Oh, the beauty of humility. What God can do through a humble person. And he turns up, David turns up to the front lines not to fight. He turns up to serve. He shows up to serve his brothers, the ones that were picked by his own father over him. Even though he got the anointing, he went right back out to the field and he was faithful where no one else was watching. And then God brings him to the front lines to show himself strong on his behalf and put his life and his leadership on display. Trust me, when you don't think anyone else is watching, God is watching when you're serving and loving, forgiving, honoring, you are being seen by God. And that which, which matters the most, because your promotion doesn't come from the east or the west. It comes from your God who sees you. He sees you in your surrender and he sees you in your serve. You know, when David woke up that morning, it was going to be just an ordinary day. Back out with the sheep, which we can kind of romanticize as David the shepherd, but that's the lowest possible job you could have in the family back in that time. He had the job no one else wanted. But Jesse, David's dad, had a different plan for that day. Jesse calls David out of the field and says, hey, I need you to go to the front lines. You're not going to fight, you're going to feed. I need you to bring this bread and this cheese to your brothers and some of their commanders. Can you run an errand for me? So Jesse dials up David, gets his Postmates, his Uber Eats, his Grubhub to go to the front line and so David, this was going to be an ordinary day, but his father had another plan. Your father, on your ordinary days, is wanting to call you up to a greater calling. Your father in heaven will use your little acts of obedience to put you in big places of opportunity. <laughs> He's looking for the one that can be faithful when no one else is watching to position you on the front lines where the whole world can see what God could do through your life. Your serve secures your spot. And if you cannot serve in the ordinary, you will never see the extraordinary things of God. If you can't honor your boss, you won't be a boss. If you can't honor a leader, you won't be a leader. If you can't surrender your daily serve, You will not secure the spot God has destined for you. You will not see real victory, lasting victory, until you walk in humility. And just like David, who came out of nowhere and stepped into the limelight, do not push your way to the front line. Realize the front line opportunity of God's favor has already come to you. And if you'll be faithful with whatever line you're at right now, God will promote you into your future. It's how you handle the little things that determine the next thing. I heard Bishop Jake say it this week and he said, last week he said, the big thing is the little thing. But people don't want to do the little thing. People don't want to open the door. People don't want to forgive in the little. People don't want to honor the little things that no one sees. We live in a day and age of self-promotion, but we still are building a kingdom that can't be shaken. That's built on sacrifice and surrender. And it's when you're willing to serve and surrender in the unseen that God's heart like a radar, finds you in that place. And when he sees you faithful in the unseen, he wants to promote you into the place of frontline leadership and influence. That's why we have next after every service. It's not about you enjoying church. It's about you building the church. Gosh, I hope you enjoy it. If you don't, I'll give you a little song and dance up here, (laughs) try to make you laugh. But you'll find your fulfillment in places of service and surrender. David finds himself by his brothers on the front lines. Goliath taunts the nation and the people of Israel. And David responds simply like, is anybody going to do anything about this situation? I feel like that's a tension a lot of us live in right now. We see the drama, we see the despair, and we see the problems. And we're looking around for someone else to solve it. But David just sets in his heart that, hey, if no one else will do it, if no one else wants to leverage their life, I'll have a go. I'll do what I can. I know I'm going to need God to do it. And in his response to David, his older brother, Eliab, and Eliab was the one that even Samuel, the spiritual one, thought would be the next king. He's the oldest brother of Jesse. And there was some tension there because David got the anointing that day, but not Eliab. And now here's David coming out of the fields and the pasture to the front lines in the battle. And Eliab is not, Eliab's not having it. Verse 28, David's oldest brother heard him speaking with the men. He burned with anger at him. How many know sometimes family drama can be the worst drama? And he asked, what are you doing around here anyway? Who do you think you are? This is not your What about those few sheep you're supposed to be taking care of? Ooh, burn, dis. (laughs) David, who's trying to walk in humility, just trying to be a servant, finds himself in a place of humiliation. David has an opportunity right here and now to agree with, succumb to what he's been labeled as or disagree with what people say about him and step into the destiny of what God has prepared about. This is a decision you must make. That am I gonna live under maybe the rightfully owned labels of yesterday? Your mistakes and your sin and your anger, your despair, your anxiety, your depression, your hurt, your heartache. Maybe some of those labels should stick to you from who you used to be, but you are not who you used to be. In the, the righteousness of Jesus Christ, you can become everything you're called to be. And David could go back to the pressure, to the, the, the lid of the label of what was said about him. But in a moment, a moment of breakthrough, he says, I'm not who you think I am. I will be all that God says I am. I remember in planting the church, one of the first things we did, I did, is I went to like a church planter's round table, which is like other guys want to plant a church in the city, teaming up with some other pastors and spiritual leaders in the city. And and we all got to go around the circle and you know it's and share like what your plan was, where you wanted to build the church, a little bit about your family. Hello, my name is Kyle, and I am a church planter. And from there, we build relationships and partnership. And the guys that set up had great hearts and great guys and been great leaders, spiritually speaking, in our city. Both of them had been pastors before. And I remember, I said, hey, I feel called, and my squeaky little 18-year-old looking self, I feel called to put a church on the plaza. And that's why I feel like God has told me. And then afterwards, they, they kind of cornered me. They kind of doubled up on me, both of them much larger than I. And they said, hey, son, which I heard, hey, boy, when you're ginger, you're just insecure and things that you have to always deal with. Hey, that's not a good move. That's not a God move. That's not gonna work. You, you need to go farther out. You need to go to other places. You, you, you need to think about deeper into the suburbs because it's just like a Bible-believing, life-giving, Jesus-centered church. It's just never existed there before. It's a graveyard for churches and church plants. And I know they meant well. But for about 30 minutes, I was like, my plan is ruined. My life is over. I got to go get another job because this thing ain't going to work. But then I really felt God begin to speak to me and resonate, just like he spoke to me about a year before that we would have a church right where I told them we were going to have a church. And what they didn't know about me, and this is not against them, is that my middle name is David, and I'm not going to back down because ultimately what God has said about me is going to be the reality of my life. What has God said about you? What has God put in you? Well, it's the time to be on the front lines to discover who you really are in your faith. God has put greatness because he's put his own living spirit on the inside of you. You're not the labels and the lids of what other people think. If God's called you to it, won't he do it? Can he not part Red Seas? Can he not? Raise the dead. Can he not do his word on your behalf? You've got to believe what God has said about your life. And no one else has to see it. But if God has said it, you've got to believe it. There's a front line for your faith. There's a people you're going to reach. There's lives you're going to change. There's a family you're going to build. And it's not based upon your past performance. It's based upon the finished work of the cross. And if God can do it through a 15-year-old, what can he do through you? Giant killers are in the house today. We're not sitting back and letting the world fall apart another moment. Here we are, God. You can send me. I've made some mistakes. I've got some drama. I have some deficiency. But in Christ, I'm more than enough I gotta preach two more times today. I'm gonna run out of voice. I think what separates the giant killers from the giant fearers is they're gonna believe. They're gonna believe what God says about them, overlooking the potential lack or their past losses, and realize that God has said this is my front line of the faith, and I'm gonna own this place. And if you live for the approval of people, you will die with the destiny unfulfilled. But if you serve your God right where you're at, if you serve and love people right where you're at, God will do even greater things exceedingly, abundantly, above all you could hope or dream. You have to be persistent. You have to be persistent. When David finally goes and talks to Saul, Saul says, no way, not a chance. But it says David persisted. And David told him a story. This isn't my first fight. It's my first giant, but I've had some lions and bears before. And I I went after it, it says. It says, I went after them. Now normally, what would we do? A shepherd back then, if there was one lamb getting taken away, we would say, okay, that's a loss, that's an L. I'm gonna protect the rest of the flock. But just like Jesus declared in the New Testament, no, 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 we go after the one. And we'll trust God to take care of the 99. David says, I, I persisted in that place. I owned it, I didn't lose a one. I went over and he says, I, I, I hit him with my club. Literally says, I got him in the jaw. Come on, we need a church that can throw a right hook every once in a while at the enemy. And he says, I, I, I owned that sheep. That was mine. New Testament, Jesus says people are like sheep. Sheep without a shepherd, people have gone astray. I'm gonna encourage you right now, being on the front lines of faith, is isn't about the platform and it's not about performance. It's definitely not about preaching or a microphone. It's about people. There's lambs, there's there's kids, there's families, there's friends. They're losing it. They're losing in life. They're losing their faith. They've been sucked away by the cancerous culture of this world. And we go after them. We protect every single one of them. Who's the one you're fighting for? Who's the friend that needs to come to faith? Who's the person you're called to serve? Frontliners, don't let the lamb get taken away. We know we're gonna fight for every single one. And if every one of us would stand in that place of humility and surrender, not making it about us, not making it about Hillsong Church, not making it about Jesus and his love for people, one by one, we'll rescue person after person after person. And where the enemy is trying to take a ground, no, no, we're the first to respond. And we will see victory. And we will see destiny in jesus name why don't we stand to our feet i want to pray for you lord jesus i pray this is an anointing moment just like david had the oil from samuel's horn run down his head where he went from an outsider and even an outcast in his own family to an anointing future king i'm praying your anointing holy spirit on every future king and queen in this house not based upon their pedigree, not based upon their past performance, not based upon what the world thinks is perfection, but based upon heart. It's a heart check kind of day. And you see them where they're at through every mistake and every inadequacy, but you're more than enough. And so we thank you as you anoint them right now, they are rising up to the kingdom they're called to build and to lead. And like David, who had no chance, naturally speaking, of securing a victory, I thank you supernaturally that walls will come down, giants will fall, families will be saved, relationships will be restored, and the Church of Jesus Christ is moving forward because the frontline people are taking their place for such a time as this, in the mighty name Of Jesus. If you believe that, can we say amen? Amen.